Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20. This is going to be our last sermon in the book of Exodus. Uh, We're going to spend the next couple weeks going through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about the law today. And then we're going to spend, I think it's seven weeks on prayer. But before we jump into this text, I want to think about where we've been. We've been in Exodus for 15 weeks. We have gone, we have traveled from the tyranny of Pharaoh to the thunders of Mount Sinai. From the epitome of oppression to the climax of freedom. Now it's important to keep that roadmap in mind. For the law has three functions. Okay? And we're about to read the law. The law, it can be a teacher to convict us of sin. The law works in our civil government to restrain sin through fear of punishment. You know, do not murder. Uh, That's in our law code, isn't it? But it has a third use. The third way the law works is to construct us in holiness. It gives us a guide for Christian living. So the law convicts us of sin, constrains sin, and constructs holiness. And as we see in our text, Israel is a people redeemed. And God is teaching them how to be holy. So let's think of the law like a blueprint for our lives this morning. And let's pick that thought up in our sermon in a sentence. The law guides us to holiness. The law guides us to holiness. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. (laughs) Heavenly Father, as we dwell here before your word, we ask that your spirit would abide in us. We cannot hear, love, nor do anything in your word unless your spirit opens our eyes, our hearts, and our hands. And we pray that would happen this morning. I pray that you would be with me as I preach and us as we hear and that we would leave this place changed. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read to verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and the rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Everywhere I go, I see the same thing. You go to a bookstore, or say you go to Walmart and you go to the book section. Ten, guys, ten ways to be a better you. You go online and you find articles that say, Ten Steps to Better Financial Health. Or my favorite, you go to Kroger, you've got a buggy full of Little Debbie Frosted Cakes. And you look at the checkout line and it says, 10 ways to burn that belly fat. We like goals. We like processes. We like steps. We do not like pie-in-the-sky ideas. Nothing will frustrate somebody faster than a politician that says, I want to lower taxes. Well, that's great. How are you going to lower taxes? We want principles. We want practical steps. Now as we look to God, God is not a pie in the sky God. God doesn't say, I want you to be holy. Now figure it out. No. God gives us practical principles. He gives us laws. Now as we talk about a better you and better financial health, Today, don't we want to be holy? How many problems in our life are the result of sin and the result of unholiness? Wouldn't we like to spend our life living the way God intended us to? And don't you know our Creator knows the best way for us to live? 
God is not a pie-in-the-sky God. He gives us ten practical principles. We call it the law. The law guides us to holiness. Now I want us to look at two things, and then we'll ask some questions. The law guides us to holiness. It gives us freedom from tyranny and freedom to God. It gives us freedom from tyranny and freedom to God. Let's pick up that first idea. The law gives us, guides us to holiness by giving us freedom from tyranny. Let me make an obvious statement. There is no such thing as lawlessness. When God created Adam and Eve, He wrote the law on their heart. This is why Paul can say in Romans 2, the Gentiles who do not have the written law, they keep the law. How do they keep it? It's on their hearts. But here's the problem. We suppress this truth in unrighteousness. Let's use a modern example to prove the point. I want you to look at Portland, Oregon. Last year they rioted over various issues and they created their own sort of enclave, their own encampment. Now what did they do? The first thing they did is they put a barricade or fences around their encampment. This is a law concerning borders. They rioted. They wanted to defund the police. But if you walked into this encampment, they had men carrying guns who served as a security force. What were these men enforcing? They were enforcing the law. The difference today between tyranny and freedom isn't the enforcement of laws or the lack thereof. The difference between tyranny and freedom are the quality of the laws and the law giver. The law of God guides us to holiness because it gives us freedom from tyranny and freedom from tyrannical laws. We need freedom from tyranny because tyranny is fickle. Tyranny is fickle. Holiness cannot be built on a fickle foundation. Let's retrace the beginning of Exodus. First, Joseph and Pharaoh were best buds. But when Joseph died, Pharaoh moved the goalpost. He enslaved Israel. He made them, he forced them to make bricks. But then he moved the goalpost again. He oppressed them with burdens and and whips and bondage. And then he moved the goalpost again. And he forced them to make bricks without straw. You see, tyranny is fickle because people are fickle. Tyranny is fickle because people are fickle. There is no freedom in fickleness. Do you remember when Jacob... You know, he's running from Esau and he goes to Laban and he stays with him for several years. And he says this, Look, for 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks, 
and you have changed my wages ten times. Let me paraphrase what Jacob is saying. Laban, you are fickle. Your laws are fickle. So I fled for freedom. Fickleness will not work. We need freedom from tyranny because tyranny is fickle. But we need freedom to God because God is faithful. Because God is consistent. We need, we need freedom from a fickle tyranny to a faithful God. Remember, freedom is dependent upon the quality of laws and the lawgiver. And God's laws are a reflection of His character, of His holiness. God is consistently and faithfully holy. And His plan is to make us the same way. We read in Romans 8, Paul says, Look, you were called, you were predestined, you were justified, you were glorified. If we had an amen corner, that's when everybody would say amen. But the question is, why did he do these things? To conform us into the image of his Son. If you want to know the image of Jesus Christ, you can see his reflection in the law. Jesus kept the law perfectly. It was his very character. This law is our guide to holiness. It is the goalpost that will never move. Because God doesn't move. Because God doesn't change. Because God is faithful. Now I want you to understand how important this is. Say you grew up in a home, which many of us here have, where mommy and daddy had a drinking problem. You come home one day, and you can laugh, and you can play, and have a good time. The next day you come home, you better not make a peep, unless substance abuse is followed by domestic abuse. What is the difference between the first day and the second day? The answer, the fickleness of man. Now let's, what does that do to a child? I will tell you, it makes them very scared. Fickleness produces fear. Tyranny produces fear. Fear is the greatest tool of tyranny. There is no freedom in fear. Now say you have a second child. He grows up in a home where parents mean what they say and say what they mean. That when he comes home each day, he knows exactly where he stands and what lines he can or cannot cross. You know, that kid has a lot more sense of freedom, doesn't he? He has more fun. He can actually relax. The faithfulness of those parents creates freedom. We need this freedom. Someone asked me recently, Zach, what is the most important thing to you, for you? And I gave them the answer in one word, consistency. None of us like to climb a ladder where it's shaky. None of us like to get a car that might start. If we look for faithfulness in these little things, how much more important 
is the faithfulness and the consistency of God as the foundation of our lives. As George Swinock says, the holiness and happiness of man consist in two things. The holiness and conformity to God. The happiness and communion with Him. Do we want to live a life of consistency? Do we want to live a life of freedom? Do we want to live a life of happiness? It does not consist in lust, lies, and loose living. It is with God and with holiness. Let the law be your guide. The law guides us to holiness by giving us freedom from the fickleness of tyranny and freedom to the faithfulness of God. But there's one other thing. Let's turn and look at tyranny's oppression. The law guides us to holiness by giving us freedom from oppression. Now what is oppression? Oppression is a state of unjust treatment or control. I want to put an emphasis on the word control. When Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh charges him with a high crime. He says, Moses, you are giving people rest from their burdens. Tyranny cannot give you rest. Rest implies freedom. Tyranny takes away our rest so that it can oppress. When God created Adam and Eve, He gave them rest. And then Satan comes and he says, hey, you can be like God. And he does not give them more rest. He gives them oppression. They had to work and toil because of the effects of sin. But it goes much deeper than that. Think of the first family. Cain kills Abel. Was Cain able to rest after they laid Abel to rest? He spent the rest of his life looking over his shoulder, wondering if someone would be out to get him. And even when he uh, continued his life, we all know a guilty conscience. Will it let you sleep? Doesn't it pain you in the middle of the night, keeping you awake? Doesn't it haunt our every waking moment? Cain had no rest. Tyranny must oppress because rest equals freedom. But why does tyranny do this? Well, look at the Pharisees. Jesus says, they heap burdens on people's back. Why? So that they can be seen by men. They wanted to exalt self. You see Pharaoh... He loads the people with burdens because of a national security issue. That's the preservation of self. In the book 1984, Big Brother crafts laws to control and catalog every moment of their lives. They do not even have freedom in their own thoughts so they could preserve a political party, so they could preserve Self. Do you know what happens 
when you live under the oppression of a tyrant like sin and Satan and the world? Do you know how it feels when a man is a liar and he's got to keep up that lie among others? Do you know what it feels like when a husband has to hide an affair? When a gossip has to catch loose ends so they don't let a cat out of the bag? When the envious man has to run up credit cards so he can keep up with the Joneses? When a man lives under the oppression of that sort of tyranny, a stretched rubber band breaks. That is what oppression does to us. It breaks us. But the law guides us to holiness by giving us freedom from the oppression of tyranny and in guiding us to the freedom of God's liberty. Of God's liberty. Let me tell you, let me... You know that one husband, not pointing any fingers... Who says, you know, I really need to go outside and get a screwdriver and screw this, but I'll just use a butter knife? How does that work out for the butter knife? It doesn't work out very well, does it? Why? That's not what the butter knife was made for. Tyranny, sin, Satan, and society give us oppressive and contradictory laws that make us do things that we were not created to do, and it damages us. God, however, made us in His image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And God made the law as an instruction manual to the redeemed. It teaches us how to live as we were created. In the same way as that butter knife. You know that beautiful silver communion tray that we use on the Lord's Supper? Well, about where Daryl's sitting, there's some nails sticking up about this much. Next time we have communion, I want you to get that fine silver plate and use it to hammer in those nails. How do you think that's going to work out? You can do that one time. And after that, the plate is ruined forever. That's what you call oppression. But if you use that plate as a plate, guess what? It will last forever. That is liberty. God has redeemed Israel from the oppression of Egypt, and they're free to, from the oppression, but what are they free to? They're free from oppression, but what are they free to? More oppression? A different slave master? No. They are free to serve and worship God like they were made to do. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we're dead in our sins. That we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you think God created this world and said, hmm, I sure hope there's a bunch of heathens in it. Of course not. This is not how He made us to be. He made us to enjoy Him forever. D.A. Carson says, if God perceived our greatest need was economic, He would have sent an an economist. If he'd perceived our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian. If he perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent a politician. 
If he perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived our greatest need involved sin, alienation from him, rebellion, and death. So he sent a Savior. Jesus is proof that the greatest tyranny in this world is not political. It is spiritual. And Jesus came as a Savior. That the power and the tyranny of sin, Satan, and society may be broken. And that we may be made righteous. That we may be restored. That we may be free. And now the resurrected Jesus Christ looks at us. He looks at you. And he says, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. With this freedom, he has given us this law. That we may be formed after his own likeness in righteousness and holiness. That we may be as God intended us to be. This is true freedom. This is liberty. Now we need to ask an important question as we round toward the end. So what? So what? How do these ten things, these ten principles, these ten laws shape us in holiness? How do we have a life Defined by consistency, by faithfulness, by liberty. How can we be holy and happy? Exodus 20 gives us ten laws that will conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you ten questions. Do you know and acknowledge God and worship Him accordingly? It's not... For no reason that our own catechism starts with man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If we acknowledge God as the creator of heaven and earth, we cannot simply tip our hat at Him. We are called to love Him with all of our being. Second, are we worshiping the God the way that He's commanded? The way that He's commanded. Worship is pretty important to God. And he doesn't use worship just to exalt his name. He uses worship to shape us, to shape our lives. Are we worshiping God the way he says? Third, do we treat God's name with the honor it's due? You know, when I was in in school, it was fighting words to talk about somebody's mama. And yet, how many times do we take the name of the Lord so lightly, so ghibly, Do we treat his name with the love and honor it deserves? Fourth, do we remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? And what I mean is not, do you come to church on Sunday morning and then pack your afternoon with as much fun that you can possibly have? The pagans do that every Saturday during college football season. This is a day of rest. It's a day of worship. It's a day of rest. We need rest. Let me just have a caveat here. Uh, you know, we're so used to having two days off in America that we think it's just the way the world's supposed to be. God invented the day off. 
God did not have to give Adam and Eve a day off. God gave them a day of rest because He's a kind and gracious God. And guess what? He knows our frame. He knows we are but dust. He knows we get tired. He gives us rest. Fifth, I'm going to add one more thing. You know what happens when you're not rested? You get cranky. You know what happens when you get cranky? Ask your spouse. Ask your neighbor. They'll tell you. Being rested will keep you from a world of sin. Fifth, do we respect those in authority? Do we speak evil of our rulers or do we speak, do we pray for them? Do we treat our superiors with honor? Do we do what they ask? And those underneath us, whether we hire somebody to work in the yard, whether we have children, are we treating them with the honor and dignity they're due? For our kids, are we leaving an inheritance for them? Six, do we preserve the life of ourselves and others? This, this involves things like our health, but even on a more basic level. You know, I know people that say, oh, Zach, that man right there is my best friend. I'd take a bullet for him. And yet the guy's brake light's been out for the last two weeks. He's only a, uh, a stop sign away from getting rear-ended, and you won't take the time to tell him. Do we preserve people's life and their well-being? Seventh, do we preserve and uphold our marriage and the marriages of others? Do we preserve ourselves in chastity, even for us who are single? You know, pornography is very easy to access, and it will absolutely rot your soul. Are we preserving our chastity for the Lord? Eighth, are we furthering the wealth of others and ourselves? When we hire others, are we paying them a just wage? When people volunteer to help us, are we volunteering them to death? Are we being charitable to those in need? Ninth, are we promoting truth between man and man? If I called somebody and I said, hey, tell me about Monty, would they say, Monty is a trustworthy person? I can use Monty in the example because I know he is. Do people say that about us? Or do we get on Facebook and do we post things that are questionable, where the facts have not been verified? Do we gossip and slander others? Or are we people of the truth? God is truth, and we are going to be conformed to His image. We must be people of truth. And finally, tenth, are we content with the lot in our lives? Or do we look at others with envy? Do we praise God that He's been so gracious to others in our life? To others in their life? Do we thank Him for what He's given us? In a word, it boils down to love. Do we love God? Do we love man? Love is the engine that shapes our lives. If you want to summarize the law into one word, it is love. What is our love characterized by? People whose lives are characterized by love are holy people. They love the righteous, the good, the godly, 
and they hate sin and wickedness in their own lives. Now many of us here look at me and they say, Zach, the only thing holy about me is the socks that I have on. I am not a holy person. I look at these ten things. These are sins in my life that I cannot give up. These are sins in my life I have not repented for. Let me tell you, if you have learned nothing from Exodus, God sent Jesus Christ to redeem you from tyranny of sin and Satan. That if you come to Him and you confess your sins, He is just and faithful to forgive you. That He will free you from the bonds of sin and death. But if you do not come to Him, you're as good as the Egyptians at the bottom of the Red Sea. God will hold you accountable for these things if you do not come to Him. But for those of us here who know Christ, don't think that because grace has abounded so much that holiness is not important. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, we have come to something greater than Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. More has been given. The word is more clear. The spirit is more freely given. More has been given. And guess what? More is expected. God expects us who have been redeemed to be zealous for good works. To pursue holiness. At one point in time, the law was your enemy because God was your enemy. But through Jesus Christ, God is now your friend. And now the law is your friend. Let it be your friend to guide you to holiness today. That you may have freedom to live a life as God intended. Truly, if I can steal a cliche phrase, a life of holiness is your best life now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look at this law and like the Israelites, we tremble. There are so many sins that cling to us so tenaciously. I pray that your spirit would give us eyes, that we would go home this day and reflect on our lives and that you would help us to see the sin that does cling to us and that by the powerful working of your spirit, you would sanctify us that you would help us to live a life in conformity to your law, that we may live a life that is happy and free. I pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified in us and us in him, that we may bear fruit fully pleasing to the Lord. We ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Now would you stand with me? We're going to sing hymn 521. My hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest flame, but holy lean 
and on Jesus' name. On Christ 